This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. How can we progress when everyone around us is urging us not to go forward? That's a pain today's guest, Christina de la Pena, knows all too well. An architect turned tech entrepreneur, Christina left Mexico to pursue a career in Paris, only to return after her then business partner told her she was the weak link. With her self-worth in question, Christina stopped focusing on who she was and began to ask herself why she wanted to continue. Finding your why is at the centre of today's episode, as Christina shares her experience of being the odd one out, looking for a support system outside of intimate relationships, and how to embrace independence. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Christina. Christina, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you very much, uh, Michelle. It's, uh, It's a pleasure for me. Amazing. So you and I recently connected over LinkedIn and and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work that you're doing in the AI and tech space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. I mean, I was listening to some of the previous podcasts and it seems that you have been talking with uh, quite a few awesome people. So I'm glad (laughs) to be here. Yes. Oh my goodness. You're all so awesome. I love it. Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. So uh, my name is Cristina de la Peña. I am right now the CEO and founder of Signabox. Um, I think that's my main role. I've been doing this probably for the past um, five years. I mean, as every startup, we've been pivoting and like changing uh, our our paths and um, probably the, the the product that we are uh, working on right now, we've been developing for the past two years. Um, and besides that, I'm an architect. I studied architecture, so I always like to say that I come from the arts and the creative um, uh, aspect of of everything. And 
that has been unique for me. I, I went from architecture to technology, exploring a bunch of different ways of merging arts and, and tech. And Signabox right now, it's not specifically arts, but it's creative. It's talking about how to optimize content, how to optimize experiences of content with consumers. And I think that it's something that really uh, excites me on how to make better uh, creative processes and at the end, better products and stuff that uh, people can interact with. So it's a big passion of me, of mine, to to be able to understand that. And that's a little bit of, of about me. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I love it. And, you know, when I looked into your architecture background and now your tech, you know, I was so intrigued and it's so interesting to hear it back now. I can't wait to dive a bit deeper into it. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I grew up in Mexico City. So I'm, I'm Mexican right now, I'm living in LA, but I've been uh, everywhere. Um, I think that uh, the beauty about my company is that I have like um, had the, the pleasure to really uh, travel a lot, meet a lot of people, a lot of mentors um, that have been helping us to, to grow what we have right now all around the globe, from Asia to Europe uh, to obviously the, the US and, and Latin. Um, but I grew up in Mexico City. Um, all my family are lawyers, so uh, everybody, every single one, it's 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 a law, it's in law or or a lawyer. And I think that that's where everything started. I just decided that I was not gonna become a lawyer, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> decided to go something uh, more artisty, uh, but in a middle ground like architecture. I studied there my my college degree. And had the opportunity to go and study abroad in Paris, um, which it was where, where I really got the chance to, to explore new things, to really immerse myself into technology and digital uh, creation, which was um, a master's degree that I started in there. Uh, I say I started because I never finished. Um, I, I never got my, my final degree. I decided to, to jump into entrepreneurship, but really like uh, that exploration of working in Paris. Uh, and at that time I was doing stuff with neuroscientists and architecture, like really crazy, crazy things that um, were really inspiring. Like were the ones that took me to give the step of uh, trying to build a company out of that. Stayed in Europe, then came back to Mexico, Mexico, US, and now I'm, I'm based here in the US. So fascinating. And I love that you talk about travel and I love how that's played such a big role in, in you and shaping who you are. And I mean, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, Christina, the early years, you know, in Mexico when you were growing up and, you know, as a teen and then into college, you know, what were you like? And, and what was it like growing up with a family of lawyers when you were the odd one out? You know, how do you think that shaped you and what did you learn about yourself during that time? Well, it was um, it was definitely an experience, right? Uh, Mexico and and my family. I mean, we are very traditional uh, towards like what family is about, right? Like we are all like very close to each other. Like we are kind of like following each other uh, on on almost everything we do. 
And I think that when I decided to go like uh, on a different path, uh, definitely was some friction, uh, probably not coming, even like not coming directly from my mom, but some of my uncles, aunties, like saying like, Hey, like, uh, looking at my mom and saying like, what is your daughter doing? Like, she's crazy. Like, you know, like she's, uh, putting aside everything the family has been built up for for her for her future you know how is it possible um but i had the, I, I was very lucky to to have uh, my my close uh, family my parents um that probably they were not uh very clear as well if whether this was a good decision or not but they were super supportive and uh, i think they had always trust on on my guts and and because i have always been like that i think i was a kid that was always trying to to get her way out like um i love studying i i was like a, a little bit of a one of those kids that studies like very well and, and gets very good grades super fast it's a little bit i like, probably was a little bit easy that then i was using my time for doing new stuff right like uh, charging money to my 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 uh, friends for doing their homework and like building my my own stuff. You Your know, own like business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I remember this one that my my mom was was telling me like uh, a couple of months ago. It was like I remember your brother telling me like, have you seen what Christina is doing? She's now like charging per page uh, <laughs> of of homework done to her like. Um, um, friends that's like crazy she's crazy and i think that i was always like that so they were very supportive when i decided to 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 do architecture and then when i went to to paris it was a big change as well because then i just decided to go technology so that was probably that was even as well like more difficult it was like my family kind of like had four years to uh, make ends to to understanding that I was an architect, but all of a sudden I was like crazy stuff. You know, I think that at some point they were thinking like, oh, she's going to build buildings. Maybe we can incorporate that into the family business. And then it was like, no, I am actually going to do like neuroscience and like crazy stuff, algorithms. And like, they were like out of their minds and they kept saying like, you're crazy. You're literally crazy. You're throwing away your future. And wow. it took me many years, right, to to show them what uh, my business was about, what my idea uh, was about. And now everybody's happy, right? Now everybody's yeah. like, oh, that was the best Always decision. in the end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the Forbes and the 30, with the everything yeah, else, you like, know. Oh, now, like... It's like, oh, we get it now, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. For our peers out there listening, I think this is very common. You know, we talk a lot about this on the show where sometimes starting a business or doing something different to potentially what our parents have done or what our family's in or even what our friends are doing, it can be very daunting. And often people can't, sometimes don't understand what you're trying to do. Why would you choose to do that? It doesn't make sense. You know, for our peers out there listening, how can we deal with how can we get better at dealing with that and stick to our own guns and pursue what we want to do yeah i mean i think that i have always believed that you need to build your support system and may not be the support system that you want or that you believe that you should have you know like uh the the usual suspects right your mom your dad your best friends like probably you, you we have the idea that the people that love us the most should be the ones that are um that have it more clear right like uh like we but sometimes it's not the case 
But I do believe that we need to then uh, shift to other support systems. It could be that one teacher that like really like understands what you're doing, right? And you like almost hang on on that, right? Like that you re rely on that person to actually hold on on your ideas, discuss them, and like try to find that way to to realize that um, there is an opportunity in there that is not all, all all bad, right? That is part of a journey. So I think that that support system uh, for me was super important. Was figuring out uh, who were those mentors outside my my initial circle that uh, were able to actually like help me to go where I, I I knew in my guts that I needed to go. So at the beginning it was teachers uh, on on college. Then it became investors. Then like it became like uh, accelerator fellows, you know, that really understood what I was doing. So I think that in every stage of the things that I've been doing, I had like this one like person or a couple of people, you know, that have become my new support system. And then I have seen myself when I don't have that support system even today, like that I I start going slow slowly, right? Um, I, I lose my speed. Because you always need that, uh, so I think that uh, that's that that has been very key to me. And even today, I, I try to figure out, okay, what's my new support system for the next step, right? So valuable, and I think you know, finding our people and our support system outside of the family or outside of, as you as you said, your immediate group is yeah, just so so valuable. Okay, amazing. So I want to talk a bit about Paris, and I want to talk a bit about that shift there. So you know. You did your architecture. That wasn't too crazy. It was a little bit strange, but then you moved to Paris and oh my goodness, here we, here comes tech. You know, what was that time like for you? New country, you're in Europe, um, you know, different city. You were changing kind of what you were doing. How did you adjust and what were the, I guess, the biggest challenges for you during that time? Hmm. So, Definitely Paris for me was, was key in, in my life, right? Like uh, it was the first time that I was living by myself, by my own rules, trying to do uh, my own stuff. Um, as I mentioned, like uh, Mexican family, like um, we are very attached. Like we live together, like until you get married, right? Um, so it was like for me the first time in which, oh my God, I can now do stuff by my by by myself and make decisions and everything. And I think at the, at the beginning, I hated it. I wanted to go back to Mexico, to be honest. I remember my first weeks in Paris. I was like just like crying around the beautiful streets of Paris, like saying like, I don't like this, you know? I miss everybody. Like, I don't know anybody. Uh, I don't feel comfortable, you know? Like, uh, it's really not something that I like. However, I was already enrolled into uh, therapy, psychological therapy, which was super cool. Uh, so I was doing that already for a couple of years, even before going to Paris. So my therapist actually helped me a lot to recognize, okay, what's going on? Like, of course, it's a big change. Of course, you come from an environment where all decisions were kind of made in group, you know, and then now you have to make your own decisions. Now you decide stuff. Now you are by yourself. Like, what? how does that feel? And I think this comes probably for many cultures. Like, um, I have uh, Indian families or Chinese Asian families that they feel these feelings, right? Yeah. It's super strong. Um, and I, I, I went through that. My therapist helped me a lot to recognize them and, and understand them. And then uh, at some point I was loving it, right? Then I was like, mm. oh my God, I'm never going to go back. <laughs> this is awesome. 
<laughs> I love it. Um, and so that was a personal experience. Then when I re- recognized that, I actually uh, decided that I wanted to pursue my, my career in Paris or in Europe. Uh, so I did everything that uh, was uh, needed for me to stay there and, and don't come back. So I literally decided I'm not coming back. But then I met somebody, right? And I met um, uh, somebody that actually introduced me to entrepreneurship. Um, we were in, in a studio that was uh, intended, intended to study the merge of neuroscience and architecture. So we were doing a lot of uh, algorithmical design, uh, parametrical design, a lot of things that were already merging with technology. And the idea of introducing neuroscience was that you could also like introduce inputs from um, humans, like um, like uh, reactions on your brain or on your skin or whatever, to interfere with that design. So it was like taking it a little bit on a different step, um, like that algorithmical design. And there was this this teacher in, in the school that was doing his PhD on that, and he was giving a a, a course on 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 his studies. And I just loved it. And I think I decided to to try to help him. Said so like, hey, I have probably a couple of hours a week that I can use to to help you on whatever I can. And I want to know more about what this neuroscience is about. Um, so I started working with him. And over there, I met this guy that was uh, into entrepreneurship. So he was saying like, hey, you, Professor and Christina, you're doing crazy stuff. Uh, what do you think about using what you're doing for something else? Maybe a business idea. Maybe instead of getting uh, information to to adapt crazy design, we use it to adapt uh, a piece of marketing, an, an ad or something like that. So during that experience, um, the professor tells me, okay, we are going to use half your time to do my research with me. I mean, the, the regular stuff we're doing. And the other half, let's use it to explore what this crazy guy is saying. So it was also foreign for the teacher, you know. I think we were very academical and we were into like our stuff. And then this guy comes and says, like, hey, you haven't seen this. Like, why don't we explore it together? So we started like uh, working on that. And it was a journey. I think that it was, uh, I, I always like remember that part. Like, uh, I had no idea of what entrepreneurship meant. Like, I have literally no idea at all. Like, I remember uh, this guy, like, telling me, like, hey, do you have a Gmail account? And I was like, no, I have a Hotmail account. And like, oh, <laughs> like, you cannot do business with a Hotmail account. Like, you have LinkedIn. <laughs> no, what is that? Oh, my God, you don't have anything. You have no idea what business is about. So I learned, like, my basics with him. <laughs> he teach me kind of that. And then at some point, uh, that idea started to, to become uh, a little bit more, more I think, and this guy again came and said, like, hey, guys, we need to, to give it some time to see if this can really become an opportunity or not. So why don't we take an entire summer full time, Professor, Christina, me, let's pick up one developer and figure out if we can make a product out of this. So, like, to be honest, the professor and I were like, oh, my God, like, do we do it? Do we don't? And then we decided to do it. So we moved to Budapest together for a summer. Wow, wow, wow. Because this guy was Hungarian. <laughs> and um, at that time, like Budapest had a, a very cool, small, but active uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, and we went there. And in two to three months, uh, we went through like a lot of stuff, right? Like first meetings with investors, 
first prototype, uh, first decks, uh, market research. I really went to like a very like short MBA, like where I was like literally <laughs> learning everything from zero. I remember like feeling like I'm the one that knows like like zero, right? Like this guy seems to know everything. We're just following him. The professor is here because, well, he's a research guy. We got a new developer while well, he's developing. I'm just here to do whatever I can do. And for me, it was exciting. Um, it was really exciting. I felt awesome. I felt like really incredible. But again, like I had no idea. And I felt also very insecure uh, because I had no idea what I was doing. Like, to be honest, I felt super insecure. And that came out to be a horrible experience then because um, this guy turned out on me and said, like, hey, yes, you have no idea. Like, I think if we are going to start a real company, you are the the weakest uh, of the team. And you should probably go back to do architecture. And oh. yeah, and uh, he said it like on like a very dramatic like uh, meeting, you know, where it was a surprise meeting where everybody was there. And it was like, Christina, oh. we have some news for you. Oh. Um Really crazy. And I was wow. in Budapest, like in the other side of the world. I, I convinced my mom and dad going back to my parents' story that I needed to go to Budapest to pursue Ugh. this stuff. But again, I felt so insecure that at some point I was like, maybe he's right. You know, maybe he's right. I'm not good for this stuff. Maybe I should just go back to architecture. Maybe he's really right, right? Uh, but at the same time, I was angry. I was like really angry. I was like, whoa, like... Besides entrepreneurship, I'm always used to do my thing and achieve my thing. And mm. if this is my thing, I cannot let like somebody tell me that, right? So that's where everything really started. I think that that very like uh, period of time is where I decided, okay, I want to become an entrepreneur. First thing, I want to show everybody that I can be an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> let me show you. Yeah, <laughs> let me show you. And then secondly, like, this is really exciting. Like, I do mm. believe on this. I think that there is a future on, on, on this stuff and I want to do it. So um, I came back to Mexico, made a plan. Uh, my dad was super supportive saying like, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm sure you're going to make the right decision. So go for it, do it. And so I quit school. I said, like, okay, I'm going to give myself a year. If I don't um, get anywhere, I go back and I pursue my, my, my life in Paris as I had it already uh, figured it out. But for now, I need to go back to Mexico. My network is a little bit more developed in Mexico than in Paris. In Paris, I only know architects, so I need to go somewhere where I can uh, do more stuff. So I came back. I went um, into a one-year program on business. I also like decided like, okay, I, I don't want to feel like insecure anymore. Right. I want to mm -hmm. know at least the basics. Yeah. So I go into that. Um, and I learned that I also, I liked it, you know, that I, I was good actually on it. So that gave me the, the strength and the, and everything. I, I just started, I uh, put a, a team together and since then, like I, I never go back to, to architecture. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, your story is just fascinating. You know, something that stands out to me is how can we progress or keep going when we feel insecure and everyone else around us is telling us to not go forward? I like, now you ask it like that. I don't know. I mean, it's so, it's so difficult, right? I think it's hard. 
I mean, we have talked about like God, right? Like, and and I'm feeling that something you need that, that that there is something you need to pursue, right? I mean, I think that that first thing it's super important. Like, really listen to your to your feelings and to your dreams. Um, for example, for me, I remember being a kid dreaming about uh, becoming an important person, right? On on becoming a um, a powerful person, not in the terms of, of power, like, oh, I want to be president or something, but like being able to, to interfere with, with people's lives. And um, I always had it like that, that idea of greatness, I think, in my, in my mind. And I think that that thing becomes part of your, of your brain somehow, that it's the thing that it's calling you to do certain things, right? Like whatever is your dream. So I have always trusted on that. It's like, I, I need you to do what I, I have to do. Like, for example, when I was an architect, I wanted to be one of the best architects in the world. But then when this opportunity came into mind, I also realized like, well, probably um, for being a consolidated architect like Saha Hadid or something like that, you need to be 50, 60 years old. Mm. Um, I don't want to wait that much, right? But maybe <laughs> entrepreneurship and startups, it's faster. So like uh, I can actually like empower myself to do it like faster. So it's listening to to yourself and then focus on 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 the today, right? Like that's super difficult. Everybody says that, but it's so important, right? Like even when uncertainties are like we just saw it this last year, right? Like I think last year everybody's company was yeah. about to die at some point um, because of everything that happened, and just decide we just decided to focus on 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 the plan of this month and the next one, right? And, and keep doing, never stopping. I think that's that's super important and um and recognize the stuff that you do know right like you're you're as again I was feeling super insecure then my second insecurity when I really started to do the business back in Mexico was that I was an architect I was like nobody's going to believe that I should be doing this or selling this product like how can I go in front of somebody from a big brand like if I'm an architect, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's like, why would they like buy anything from me? I mean, I didn't study this. I don't know anything about this. And the thing is like, you need to start recognizing why and the whys uh, are very personal, right? Like, well, I'm actually the best seller of this because I am an architect, right? Mm. Because I have the creative process in my mind to see things that my team, even my engineers cannot see. I can see the big picture because that's the way my mind was trained as an architect, right? It was trained to see like the creative process and the execution of it. Like I, I, I have this ability to connect dots in my, in my head. Right. So that's the reason why I can like solve this problem differently. Um, and then you start owning it and owning it. And then you become like uh, sure about it. And, and, and you represent that when you're speaking to people. So, I think that as well as we recognize our insecurities is to then analyze them. Like, I'm going to leave them here. Okay, what do I have? I mean, I must have something, right? Like, everybody has something. What do I have? Okay, this stuff. Let's work over that. Like, let's let's make it stronger, right? And that happened to me. And now I always said, I'm an architect. And everybody's like, oh. And then it's like, oh, that's super awesome. <laughs> cool, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're just so right, you know, turning the things that we think and maybe aren't going to help us or the attributes that we already have and actually putting them forth and going, hey, even though I may not have a business degree, I've got this and you watch me, you know, and I think that that's just so valuable. 
you know, why do you think we undermine the attributes or skills we already have? Why do you think we do that? And how can we get better at not doing that? Well, definitely, like it's um, the way we 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 learn, right? Like we we learn in little boxes that you need to be this, you need to know this in order to get there. You need to do that, right? But like to be honest, things um, are not like that, right? And everybody everybody kind of knows it, I think. Um, but it's it's difficult to put it into practice and to recognize it because then. I probably, I don't know, like 80% of the population, it's still very framed into those boxes, right? And and their minds are like, well, it doesn't make sense, right? You should be doing this. And if you're not doing it, then it doesn't make sense. Um, so I think that it's, it's again, going back to, to, to like, it's a very interiorized kind of process, something that you need to go through it, but also your support system comes in, right? It's like, okay, how do you recognize this stuff? It's probably not only by yourself, but also with the people around you that you start joining on this uh, new journey, right? Um, so, again, we have heard that the people you you are hanging out with is the people you, you become, right? And I think that's super important. So taking care of uh, your friends, you know, your new friends, I, I have always believed we all have friends from like high school and those are awesome friends, you know, um, and they have their own processes and we will go together on those processes of, of life. But you do also have friends per stage of life. Right. Yeah. And that is part of your support system to keep growing to wherever you want to do. You want to go. So I think that it's 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 a big part of that, like of of changing that mindset is to start joining a new community and have new conversations. It's like, okay. And, or even like, uh, as you were saying, right. I mean, not now, but on your podcast, it's like listening into new stuff. Like there is people that have done it. There is people that yeah. is doing it every day. And maybe you become a new community, you know, of people that actually support each other to get out of that box, those boxes and, and really find their own thing. Um, so again, I think communities are so, so important. Like having, and, and I say communities, but it could be one friend. It could be one mentor. Yeah. You know, but you need to invest on that. Like, again, mentors don't just give you their time. Like, you need to invest. You need to give back, right? And give back could be as easy as actually committing to whatever you are dealing with that investor or with that uh, mentor or, or, or friend or whatever, right? But there is no time for like, oh, I have this friend that is awesome. You know, I love to hang out with him, but I barely talk to him or I never like, invest anything on him i never say happy birthday you know i never like uh, care about what is going on with them you need to invest in all of this stuff and you need to create that um that circle you know and invest in it and then you will see change and you will see how it's a little bit easier never easy but a little bit easier never easy but a little bit easier i couldn't <laughs> agree more i love it Oh, Christina, I, I want to dive a bit deeper now into Snapbox and how that came about. So obviously this was your second business and really your your main way in in in, in starting, you know, starting something on your own um, that was ended up being super successful, et cetera. So talk to us a little bit about where the idea for Snapbox came about. You know, I think you started it in Jan of 2018. So it's been almost about three years now. Talk to us a little bit about the journey and, and how you started. 
Yeah. So right now what we're doing is um, like part of that initial idea of understanding how people is reacting and interacting with things. Um, and in this case, things are content, video, images. We know that video and images are right now uh, everywhere, right? Like it's the way we communicate, the way we entertain ourselves, the way we learn, uh, the way brands communicate with us. Like it's it's so embedded into, into our day-to-day. Um, I think that by 2022, it said that 80% of the internet is going to be video consumption, right? It's wow. crazy. Like video, it's it's amazing. It's growing. It's just so embedded into, into what we are and uh, who we are. So what we try to do with Box is to understand where are the, the things that are making us engage with this content. Like as consumers, uh, how do we engage with a piece of advertising? How do we engage with a piece of communication? Um, somebody trying to give us information. How do we receive it? And what are the factors that make us receive it better or less? Um, all of these things are the stuff that we are measuring. And the way we measure it is through very cool technology uh, like biometrics. Um, uh, over here, we're talking about face recognition of emotions. Well, I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about emotions, right? It's like, how do you connect with this content? It's like, is it making you feel better? Uh, is it making you feel angry? Um, all of these reactions that come like intrinsical to, 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 to how you react to this content is what we're measuring. Um, and also uh, eye tracking. So eye tracking is about attention, right? Again, when you think a world with 80% of video out there, like how do you understand it? How do you know if it's mm-hmm. good video, bad video, good communication, bad communication? So attention is super important. Emotions are super important. And now we have the, the ability to do all of this in a very scalable way because hardware is so powerful right now. Our cameras in our pockets are so powerful. So these technologies are uh, now available to us um, and to our use in a scale that wasn't seen before. Um, so we're taking those uh, to really help in this initial uh, phase of box brands to understand um, these reactions of, of content to consumers and quantify as much information as we can to make better content, to optimize it, to probably personalize it better. Um, and really bring a little bit of science to to that content creation. So uh, we can go really, really deep into understanding, like, is it dogs? Like, you know, every time a puppy appears on a scene, uh, there is some kind of reaction. Uh, how can we interpret that, right? Is that reaction affecting uh, the way you perceive the brand or the way you perceive uh, or, or your intention to probably buy that product or not. Like we want to understand that stuff so we can bring a little bit of science on that creation of content. Um, but I like to say that that's the initial part because at the end, like as, as this keeps developing and these algorithms uh, keeps telling us uh, about these trends, these patterns of consumption of, of content, we can also like use them for other types of, of communication, like um, ed tech. It's something that I'm, I, I would love to at some point touch, right? It's like if I can interpret whether if you are uh, feeling more appealed to a brand because certain factors on, on a video, uh, maybe I can interpret whether if you are going to learn more because certain mm-hmm. factors on a class, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that like this type of, 
feedbacks of uh, of data are are going to become like huge in the future. You know, it's it's quantifying engagement, and engagement is going to be everywhere. So I think uh, it's going to become a huge theme more than uh, on marketing. So so interesting. You know, how did where did this come from? You know, where did this idea come from? Was this when you were back in the US? What made you move to the US? Talk to us a little bit about how this fell into the story. Yeah. So um, we started as a neuromarketing kind of like company uh, before that, uh, 2018. Um, And it goes back really to to that uh, Paris experience where I was doing neuroscience and like figuring out brain waves and everything. Um, I went like on my first um, tryout to do this. Uh, we were using hardware, like instead of just recognizing emotions through a webcam, we we're actually using hardware that we will set on the on the heads of people to try to understand mm-hmm. emotions from brain waves. So it was a little bit crazier, definitely not as scalable, but it was my first try, and that's where it really started. Like. Neuromarketing, it's um, a part of market research into marketing that has been trying to merge neuroscience with marketing and market research. So probably somebody has seen this ad of Pepsi versus Coca-Cola, like somebody on a big machine reading brainwaves to understand what are your your brain reactions of um, drinking Pepsi versus drinking Coca-Cola. I mean, this has been a thing that uh, has been happening probably since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like really not scalable, not fast enough, not um, good enough in terms of data. So we saw an opportunity there to first do that part faster and better. So instead of using a big machine, you could use something that can connect some Bluetooth that it's easier to transport. That was the initial part. And then we saw... That's not enough, right? Like brands right now, at the at the scale that they are producing content, like you cannot longer wait for days. You need it in hours. Yeah. So like you need feedback like today uh, and now, and you need feedback that is intelligent. You just don't need only data. You need interpretation. You need insights. You need to analyze this information. So um, that hardware like idea didn't give us that escal- scalability. So we went to, okay, we need to data collect uh, from regular webcams. Uh, otherwise, it's never going to uh, scale. So we started there, and it's been like, I say, like uh, uh, an evolution. We have uh, pivot in, in a couple of times. And the last great pivot that we did was uh, towards the idea of uh, creating these insights automatically as well, right? Like, okay, now we collect the data, but like people still doesn't like get the best out of this data, right? You need to create now algorithms that actually uh, help people to interpret this information, know which are the patterns that are actually effective or not, which ones are the ones that are going to return the best results for me, right? It's not only dogs, probably it's uh, on the screen, right? It's something else. So all of this analysis part and how you automate that analysis part is probably the, the, the big pivot that we did last year. And, um, and now because of that and that is that scalability, it allowed us to really uh, hit into like real marketing teams, like scalability in terms of usage. Before we were kind of like on the research teams inside companies. And now we are working mostly with marketing teams, which have like uh, a way better use of, of our data. So 
again, everything has been like into stages, into like evolving all of these. Um, we are a pretty unique type of company, I would say. We have some some competitors out there, but not taking the solution as uh, as we are. And I think that's part of creating something new. Also, you need all of these different iterations, right? So we've been going through that. And right now, I think that we got something pretty special. Mm. I love that. You know, I think that's such a misconception about entrepreneurship and starting something that, you know, the first version you put out is going to just be so great. And, you know, we wait and we're so nervous about what the reaction is going to be to that first version. But in reality, it's so much, um, that's really just the prototype. That's really just, you know, the first stage of, of a couple of iterations in any business. You know, mm. what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe feel scared to put out that first iteration or to make that first iteration because maybe they feel like they've failed or maybe they're like, oh my goodness, I just don't want to look bad. You know, mm. what advice would you give to them, to us? So I do agree 100% with that. And it's something that happens to me as well, right? We're always thinking like, oh no, we've been doing this for so many years now. Like it's bad. Um and like, for example, I have my, my husband, like I'm 30 years old. Uh, my husband is 44. So we have a big gap. Um, and something that he tells me is like, oh, you millennials, I, you've been doing this for five years. You know how many years I've been on my job, like on my career is like, <laughs> and you think that it's over. And you think that like uh, when I have my crisis is like, oh my God, you have to stop. Like, that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> And we I can't think it's help like, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, oh no, like I, I wasted all my life. It's like you're thirty, like you've been doing this only for four to five years. That's <laughs> crazy. So again, like it's so hard, but we need to to think. I think something that I have learned is we need to think as business people, right? And mm-hmm. when you go back to business people, like uh, fifty years old, they didn't care years ago. I mean, they didn't care about like four to three years to actually make it happen. They just care about making it happen. And they knew that stuff takes time and stuff takes like uh, a lot of work, you know, and it's probably going to take you 20 years to build an immense business, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you separate those things, like the the Silicon Valley like ideas that, yes, some people like go through those paths, right? But like, Mm The real, like, not the real, but there is also other paths. Right? There, there is a path of, like, old way of doing businesses that are, like, just build awesome businesses, whatever it takes, you know? Mm-hmm. If it's a good idea, like, just do whatever it takes, even if that takes, like, five, six, seven, eight years uh, to build. Of course, I think, like, you need to be growing somehow, even mm-hmm. if that grow is not, like, the jokey stage, but, like, it, it's showing that... Like, hey, maybe it's not ready, but um, it's growing, you know? It, people is starting to understanding better. Like, you need to figure out that you are uh, not just flat, you know, and it's it's gone. Um, and you need to set up your goals. But again, sometimes it's not going to be that um, Mark Zuckerberg idea that we have, like he was on, on, on Harvard and then all of a sudden he was talking about million dollars, right? Like, it's not like that all the time. As long as, as you are growing, whatever is that, you know, um, and also like, as long as you're growing, uh, professionally, as long as you know that your team is growing, I think that that's, that's good, you know? And then like, 
I mean, we need to have fun as well, right? At some point and enjoy what we're doing. It's not just about like, oh, I don't have what I wish I could have as other entrepreneurs. Well, you have an awesome business. It's actually doing probably better just because you can like raise the same amount of money. Like it doesn't mean that it's not good, you know, probably it's even a better business. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult, you know, but um, yeah, I will just say it's not always the same, you know, we just have to, to do our stuff. <laughs> mm. Stick on our own lane. I, I couldn't yeah. agree more. Oh my goodness, Christina, I could talk to you. We could talk for you for hours. It's, it's so, so interesting, but I am conscious of your time. I think, you know, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Christina, for the phenomenal work you've done that you're doing for showing us in particularly us, you know, women and, and ambitious women that, that we can change our minds. We can change our paths and it's okay. You know, I think for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you very much. I mean, I'm happy. Hopefully my, my journey is going to continue on a good path and, and we can talk again later and, and see where we are. And um, again, if I can help anybody with my story, I'm, I'm already super happy. I love that. Amazing. Well, uh, the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Mm. So I think it's enjoying the ride, you know, whether if it's a difficult ride, it's um, enjoying it and, and knowing that it's yours. I think that that freedom is something that entrepreneurs sometimes we take as, as granted. But when you recognize it, it's awesome, you know, it's like you make your own like path, you know, you, you make your own rules, uh, you are in control of, of what you're doing. And that's something that it's so powerful, right? I, I And you need to recognize, like, sometimes when I think about my team, for example, I know that some people on my team are on my boat and they are not making their own rules. They are following my rules, right? So it's such a big responsibility. Yeah. And at the same time, I feel like, wow, like, it's so exciting, you know, to know that, that you are here for, for you, for your team, and that you have that control and as well uh, a big responsibility. So I think that that's something that entrepreneurs need to recognize a little bit more, more than following up like the the, the big social media like dreams that we were talking about. It's like also like the good stuff that we already have. It's like you are able to enjoy what you're doing, to control what you're doing, and to also help others, you know, to to go on your journey with you. Um, and I think that's, that's awesome. So I was saying something to my team is like, even if we cannot change the world, at least we're going to change our worlds. Right. So oh, like, <laughs> I, I mean, if we can it. change these 20, 25 people worlds and that's yeah. it, you know, and yeah. that's awesome. So I will, I will say that. I think that's something that we all have to, to think about. And it's uh, a big privilege. It is at that. Oh my goodness. I love it. Christina. Oh, we have had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and um, sign up box? Sign up box. Why do I say it wrong? (laughs) (laughs) And sign up box. um, Please, uh, if anybody has uh, any question or want to contact me, like on LinkedIn, I'm uh, the most approachable. And also over there, it's where, where the company is more active. So please go ahead and, and we're going to actually start rolling out more more blog posts about what we do, more like tips 
do's and don'ts from what we have learned from our clients. So uh, definitely they try to, to give back more to the community. So please, please do follow us on, on LinkedIn and contact me if you need anything that I can help on. I love that. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Christina. We've had a blast. It's, you're so awesome. And <laughs> Thank for everyone you, else, Of course. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at the Peers Project. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.